0: Hello and welcome back to The Shakedown, an F1 and motorsports learning podcast. My name is Ellie and along with Moni and Hannah, we are learning about F1 and many other motorsport series too. In this episode, we wrap up an exciting weekend at Monza, the Temple of Speed, as well as some of the latest F1 news. Then our attention turns to IndyCar ahead of the final race of the season this weekend and we dive into IndyCar 101. As always, if you want to get in touch or have suggestions of things you want to know about, you can find us on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C. Or you can follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. But for now, enjoy! hello everybody hello hello welcome back we are well and truly
1: back into the swing of the second half of the year it's exciting to be back how was the weekend guys i got to watch everything live wow Um, i I know an anomaly right
2: (laughs) huge deal me and hannah switch roles this weekend
1: yeah not always a good thing clearly
2: nope yeah. not always it's a good fine. thing we'll but
1: you know what that's fine before the weekend even started we had some
3: very big exciting news come on, what was the big exciting news
2: george and lewis signed contract extensions to 2025
3: Woo. Yeah, which basically means that until the next regulation change the Mercedes lineup is staying the same which I think is really good for them I think it's it's good consistency obviously Lewis we knew was out of contract at the end of this year and we expected him to re-sign with them for a couple of years but it's nice in a way to have George's re-sign as well so there's like a bit of solidity mm. is that a word
1: solidity? yeah consistency so, consistency yeah. I think it's interesting and it's they good like because they are one of those teams that need to help, need to develop, and if you have a consistent driver lineup mm. and development and the data doesn't change because the driver's style
2: doesn't change
1: so I think that that's really yeah, smart think, of them yeah
2: question yeah
1: so that's exciting
2: mm. I was a, randomly oh well, I just thought of it right now so do you think well, is it more beneficial for driver lineups to stay consistent versus like every couple years you switch a driver for whatever reason you they retire just because of, like you said Hannah the data readings are consistent or like in terms of development of the car or what? it just depend so
1: in my unprofessional opinion full disclosure I think that consistency is probably better but it really depends on how stable the team is themselves mm-hmm. because that depend that changes everything if you're constantly changing the pit wall then you might want to yeah. change the driver if you don't know or like if your team isn't performing well yeah but you haven't pinpointed it as the car being the issue maybe changing the driver or changing the pit wall is what you want to do if you're mm-hmm. getting yeah. on your own if you're getting data that is positive then change the driver lineup or the pit wall if you're getting data on your own that is not okay but it, depending on which driver is in the simulator it changes and it becomes positive or negative and there's something wrong with the car and you need to keep that consistent so you can figure out where it is because if you change that the driver style changes and then you need to create a car that's for that driver now we'll get into that a little bit later about cars not being made for certain drivers because i know ellie and i definitely have to
2: rant about that in a second
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah yeah. Me? So right. What do I mean?
2: <laughs> we never do that. What are you talking about? Ever.
1: That's not why we created this. Are you
3: kidding? not about the specifically blue team? No, never ending over here. <laughs> I do also think, just to, to you know, answer your question, Mark, I think I would imagine the biggest challenge comes when the car really works for one driver, but not the other, because then it's not clearly about the car as such or changing the line, it probably becomes necessary. Because if you've got... I'm I'm thinking like a a Pierre Gasly in Red Bull situation. Max Mm -hmm. wasn't having problems with the car. Pierre was. Max was still managing to produce some really consistent and really great results. And so therefore, in that scenario, you, you kind of feel like you have to change your driver lineup because it's clearly not the problem of the car. Whereas I think Lewis and George are consistently around the same kind of level in the Mercedes. And so any improvements are likely to be down
1: to the car rather than necessarily the drivers And therefore having that consistent feedback, as Hannah said, can be really helpful and really beneficial. Now here's where I here's where let me view the devil dad kit for a second. There are a lot of people that decide that, that say and they have a point that the car was built for max and not for another driver they don't consider the other driver right so Mm -hmm. in that sense it might not be the driver or the car it might just be that they built the car for one driver yeah because they're putting all of it on one driver which is not great but oh
3: no i'm just saying if you want to get double like winning results in both cars and you are seeing it in one car then probably the thing is to change the other driver which is what red bull done, more from that point of view but no i think it's exciting for mercedes i'm hopeful that you know we can continue to see them improve and do good things lewis is now only i think six points off alonso in third in the world driver standing so that's exciting after this weekend and yeah so mom Let's get into it a little bit. What did you think of alternative tyre allocation in
1: qualifying? Q1 was great. I loved Q1. I didn't feel like it played as big a part as it did in Hungary. was it? Yeah, it was in Hungary because it was, because the circuits were completely different. They mm. are completely different. Think about it this way. Hungary is one of the circuits where you don't pass. Like, sure. and if you do, it's in two specific corners. And then you have Monza, which is literally the easiest track to pass on. And I'm very surprised that we didn't see any engine penalties this year because that is usually where they oh. take them because you can make up ground.
3: Right. We've not seen many engine penalties at all this year. Not in comparison to last year when we were a 75. To be with
1: you, I don't remember them happening, but they did happen. Yeah.
3: Max have one I, and some people have started from the pit lane some of the guys further back so Magnusson I think definitely has I think Bottas might have one time as well so ha- they have been around but not in the same quantity as we saw last year where like pretty much every race someone was taking a grid penalty
1: I think the but the pit lane is different right so it's the breach of park for which makes you start from the pit lane it's not a grid drop so I think what they're doing is they're taking the pit lane start as opposed to yeah yeah it's
3: more I think those have been the only occasions where we've seen engine changes and, and by the time you're starting the pit lane You may as well take an engine penalty as well. So, yeah, right. Other than that there was a couple of other bits in quali that are worth mentioning so if you watch the broadcaster if you've caught up in it since you will see that there was uh, the possibility that ferrari were going to be investigated for breaking regulations about outlaps and this was a relatively new rule i think it was only brought in for f1 quali because i think of some stuff that happened in f2 quali. so monza we know is a really really fast track it's a really good track for teammates to work together and give one another the time, um, i.e to give them an extra speed uh, an extra bit of speed by getting the slipstream behind their teammates car and so inadvertently you can offer a tow and a slipstream to another car which obviously no one wants to do no one wants to give someone else the edge so in F2 quali basically no one went anywhere they were just they were sat there because no one wanted to go first because no one wanted to give a tow and so you saw half the field not set proper times in F2 quality. and so for F1 quality, they, they brought in this rule that you had to do your out lap under I think it's like 1 minute 43 seconds and a fast lap would be like 1 minute 20 seconds so basically you can't go so slow on your outlap that you are holding other people up or not giving someone a toe where they might need it but it also meant that you could not wait for your teammates to go out and help them with the toe You had to be far more forward thinking. And if you wanted to do toes or whatever featured, you'd go out at the same time. But Ferrari basically potentially breached this and there was a, a, a possibility that despite the fact that they got P one and P three in quality, that they might end up losing those or taking some penalties or something like that because they had breached these rules. They didn't no they didn't. I think the FIO knew that they wouldn't get out of the circuit no. live if they did oh. that. But it was just
1: very interesting to see. Also, just as we brought up a feeder series, the F Three championship did conclude this past weekend and we have our champion we had our champion before i think they even raced on saturday i think because yeah. um Ready? of something f3 is always chaotic but i think there was something extra <laughs> chaotic about qualifying this past weekend gabriel bordoletto ended up winning the championship i don't think he stepped on the podium this weekend though And i don't think he got pole so i'm not sure i'm assuming his title rival was crashed out in that chaotic traffic paradise as yuki would say um because there was Mm. so much traffic on the circuit because it is 30 cars and I will tell like it looked like the starting the starting lap like the first lap of an actual race half the time. Yeah. Same with F two when they finally got out there. F two it looked like the first lap of a sprint. Absolute yeah. chaos. There was passing. There was passing.
3: Yeah, and you know how, I don't know how many of our listeners have, have got into the the feeder series, but these last couple of weekends in F two particularly have been really really interesting, really really exciting. The championship battle is all to play for, and it's a re- when the F one championship seems incredibly locked up. All Already. I can't see Max not getting it and not getting it significantly in advance of the end of the season. It's really nice to see things going down to the wire a little bit more in the other feeder series. So I do really recommend it. There's, uh, as Hannah said, the F3 championship has now concluded and the F2 championship is got only got one. Uh,
1: yeah, Abu Dhabi's round the last left. one. They always conclude in Abu Dhabi. But they've got two that month means... break now between now and then. Yeah. So if you are interested, yeah. I believe F3 is testing in October and I don't know if if they're going to stream it but they might on f1 tv i can't remember where it is but it's i want to say october 10th through the 12th don't quote me on that
3: if you say so i won't i'll believe speaking it of UK, mm. speaking of yuki uh, little short king what a weekend bless his little heart he'd done a really good job in Quali. he was starting in alpha position aka p11 and he didn't even get to the start line. Poor little babe. See he, he pulled over into the grass, engine failure, I think, but like halfway through the formation lap, it was really sad. So that meant that the race start was abandoned. They sat on the grid for a bit, The teams came out, kept the cars cool, and then they had to start this whole starting procedure again, which took like another 10 minutes and then they had to do another formation lap, which led to something really, really interesting. Hannah, do you want to talk about the number of laps in the race?
1: So I think it's really interesting to talk about the FIA and the race contr- race controls very delayed decision to let people onto the grid it took probably four to five minutes for them to say okay you can get onto the grid after the second aborted start which was a total waste of gas and resource whatever you want to call it total waste of time and, and you just literally had there's pictures of marshals holding back people holding back teams off the grid and the grid it looks like it looks like when you're at like a concert and you're trying to squeeze through a door but they still have it blocked off because the rope drop hasn't happened yet like that kind of thing like you just had yeah. this group of different colors just waiting around to be led onto the circuit and they literally went okay fine you can get onto the circuit so they you know turned off the cars finally and did all this other stuff, but it actually, after having to do two different starts procedures, they made the laps, they made the race shorter because technically the race had started. So the clock had started, right?
3: I think it was as much as anything, it was the fact that they'd fueled for the, that number mm-hmm. of laps. Charles aren't going to carry that excess too. fuel, so they carry enough fuel for 53 laps plus the formation lap. But because they did three formation laps, they had three laps left fuel, so it was 51 laps plus three formation laps, basically. So that was another like piece of the puzzle is that... like. Like they set the timer, but also they wasted formation laps and therefore wasted fuel, and they weren't going to refuel the cars that little bit more right. just so they could it's get easy. 53 laps. Yeah, yeah. So now there that, were that a couple happened. of other incredibly momentous things that happened this weekend first and foremost absolute props and obviously he's going to listen to this absolute props to Max Verstappen for setting a record which probably will never be broken so there were two records that went this weekend one was for red bull 15 races one in a row that obviously extends back into the 2022 season and then max himself has won 10 races in a row which is just fantastic like whatever you think of the guy he is doing incredible it's absolutely amazing and in breaking those two records, he also broke a curse. Now, if you've listened to our conspiracies and controversies episode last week, you'll know we talked about the Monza curse. We talked about how maybe this was the year it was going to get broken. Was it going to take down Max Verstappen? And, you know, the man beat the curse. What can we say? No,
1: it just pointed at the wrong Red Bull car. It just pointed at the wrong Red or Bull or car. The ne- oh. <laughs> and Nico overpowered it. It's still there. Nico, yeah, <laughs>
2: the Nico curse is, the there, Nico curse so. is stronger than the Monza curse. We have figured out.
1: There you go. Because the Nico curse moves tracks. The Monza curse is localized. Therefore, it's just powerful
3: by (laughs) comparison. True, 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 true. But anyway, it was a wonderful weekend if you're a Max fan. Very impressed. And it was was nice to see a Red Bull, uh, sorry, a Ferrari on the podium as well. That was exciting. Carlos.
1: Mm-hmm. I, the energy so. when a Ferrari gets pole in Monza is absolutely insane and he did so well to get in the pole Cold. position and
3: he mm-hmm. did really really well to hang on to keep a podium place so well done then unfortunately mm-hmm. we also had some Ferrari. really stupid people talking at the weekend didn't we Hannah yeah. mm. here's the thing right I'm gonna go on a run you guys have already given me permission to do it off air. so here I am I'm gonna go I, I am here for this Williams. not gonna lie I I love Williams I'm i'm a really i'm a big williams girlie, and there's just been a few things that have been said recently about williams as a team and how the car's doing this year that i'd just like to clear up a little bit so i heard a lot of comments that james Vowles has come in and turned this team around that he's done it amazing and as team principal he you know has completely changed their fortunes as a team and I'm not denying that I think he's great. I'm not denying that he might have come in with some really wonderful wisdom and and wonderful things to say. But to insinuate and to suggest that that has only happened in the six or seven months since he's been here, quite frankly, is stupid. Because... This car has been in development Since this time last year If not before James Bowles wasn't involved In the choices of the drivers This year For a start He he came in too late For the things That are happening this year To be solely down To one person Never mind the fact It's a team sport Anyway Christian Horner can't take credit For how well the Red Bull's doing He really can't It's a team thing It's a team sport It's a team effort And so firstly To the people who Are continuously saying Oh James Bowles Has come in and turned This Williams team around Yes He's great And I really appreciate him and I love the way he's doing things but please don't devalue the efforts of the team back at the factory and the wider Williams machine by insinuating it's just down to one man that they're in a good place. Secondly, and on that point, people who have been like, oh Alex Albon's dragging that tractor of a Williams into the points, blah blah blah, week in, week out, oh he's doing so well, dragging that awful Williams and you know the worst car on the grid, stop! Because it's not, it's actually not the worst car on the grid anymore. It's actually probably not even close to being the worst car on the grid and that's not just from the championship standpoint. Things, but that does tell you some of it because I would actually argue that both the Alfa Romeo and the Alfa Terry are significantly worse than the Williams has been this year. The Haas has got good luck, won that pace, but seems to suck the rest of the time. But I just don't think it's actually correct anymore to say that he's driving the worst car on the grid and that he's dragging it into the point. I think we can, Williams now are a pretty solid midfield team, maybe lower end of the midfield, but just, uh, those are my few rants. I know you'll have your own one. I don't want to take it from you. But I just have heard that a lot on, in a lot of different narratives recently and a lot of different places. And So, you know, I wanted to clear it up and say, James Bowles is great, but he is not a wizard. And the Williams is not the worst car on the grid. That's all.
1: My rant has to do more with what I was talking about earlier, which is creating a car for one driver and one driver only. And it's very clear, mm-hmm. what, like Ellie said, James was not around when they started developing the car. James was not around when they picked the drivers. And that's the biggest thing right here. You can kind of tell that he wasn't around when they picked the drivers and that he doesn't agree with some of the lineup, which to be fair, when our little frat boy started, love you, I was one of the people that did say that he needed another year in F2 and I still believe that he should have had another year, but they were strapped for a driver. They didn't have the opportunity or the people. So you know what, now? the world said, now's your time, kid. Um, Take it with both hands and try your best. People need to understand that there is a steep learning curve. You're going from a Dallara to a Constructors customer team part that goes so much faster. It is Mm -hmm. a lot bigger, okay? The amount of rumors that I have seen about drivers from different series or Drivers coming back, drivers in that could take a seat, take seats from feeder series. Here's my thing: Why would you waste a year developing and and getting this driver ready to go to take him out and put in another rookie? What is that going to do? What is that going to do? That's not going to do anything. You're going to start back at square one. Now, Will Buxton of all people pointed out something very interesting during one of the practices that Williams promised the Monza package, which they somewhat delivered until there was some incidents and then, you know, some fishy stuff from a certain Italian team but they were running two separate wings during a practice session right one of them was a it looked kind of like a monster of a wing it had four different planes to it and had rivets and other pieces and carbon fiber coming off of it it had fins and all this other stuff and all these fancy things Hey, okay, it was definitely the heavier of the two aka the more downforce heavy wing then you had the other car which was lighter more streamlined only had three planes, was a lot faster. Now I'll take it, I'll let you, our listening audience and Mon and Ellie, take a gander at which wing was on which car and which driver the The press decided to take apart for this and not recognize that they were running two different wings.
2: Logan Sargent had the heavier wing and therefore got chewed apart by the media. Ding,
1: ding, 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 ding. <laughs> exactly. It win a prize. Don't know what that prize is. Might want to find it around you. Winning. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Will Buxton called them out and I appreciate him for that.
3: Yeah, and it's important to be said. I think w- we obviously, unfortunately, don't get to decide who is in what scene next year because that would be fun, but we don't have we don't get to make those choices. But I do think it's important to consider all of the evidence before running your mouth, particularly negatively criticizing somebody when you don't actually have the right facts in front of you. And yeah, I think it's it's just I think it's important.
1: That's the end of my rant. That's it. But
3: yeah, I was gonna say we're done ranting now. We just mm-hmm. got to be true to our uh, one true team because we love we love the boys and boys now i think that's all our news from this last weekend I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really good weekend. I'm looking forward to Singapore. We'll do a bit more of a focus on Singapore next week because that's not till next weekend. But in the absence of a F1 race this weekend, one of us is going to do something very, very exciting. Moni, tell the people what is happening this weekend.
2: I get to go to the last IndyCar race of the year at Laguna Seca because it's one of the two that I'm aware of tracks near me that have races. The other one's Sonoma that has NASCAR, I'm pretty sure it's just NASCAR. And then Laguna Seca has a little bit more, but IndyCar is the biggest, like the big series that goes there that I'm aware of. I think some so, other ones go there too. So
1: Sonoma, Sonoma also has NHRA, Ooh. which is drag racing for those who don't know. They have a lot of different stuff. That's the track, Sonoma's the track that my family and I used to camp at. We had nice. three, three ma- two, we had the two major ones. And then if we wanted to go for certain days, we would go for like the Sunday race day for a different series. The two major ones were obviously IndyCar and NASCAR. And they're at the completely opposite ends of summer, which is kind of nice. It was like a start cap nice. and an end cap. So yeah, Sonoma, or it used to be that way. It's not that way anymore. Sonoma is there. They have a bunch of different stuff. It is also one of the museums as well. But yes, Laguna Seca is the big, is the big one. It's the finale. Only
3: this year. Next year, it's uh, Nashville. The finale is in Nashville.
1: That's true. They do change it. They do change it around, I think. Yeah. Which is Which is different.
3: Yeah, it's cool. I think it's cool. In light of Moni going to the IndyCar this weekend, and not just for her, but, you know, we've wanted to do this for a while, today we are going to be doing IndyCar 101, which you probably have realised if you've seen the title of this episode, but we are going to do some of the basics of IndyCar. Now, this is in the same way that our F101 episode wasn't a completely exhaustive list of everything in, in F1. This won't be a completely exhaustive list of everything in IndyCar, but wanted to give you a little bit of a big picture, and we'll go through sort of all different aspects of it from the the Teams, to the, sh- the the spec of the car, to the, what a race looks like, qualifying points, all of those kind of things. And then we'll see if you've got any other burning race weekend questions for Imani. So, without further ado, welcome to IndyCar 101. So, IndyCar is like F1 is an open wheel championship, but specifically, it only takes place in North America. So, the races are either in the US or in Canada, but The drivers are not The drivers are from All over the world It's not specific To American drivers only Which is really important Because a lot of the drivers I think there's like 11 different countries Represented in uh, IndyCar this year Which I think is really awesome I think it's really cool It's named after the Indy 500 uh, Because that was where it started It kind of merged Two different race categories Back in I think 2007 Um, But it's got kind of Like a main series Which is called IndyCar NTT Which is like the F1 equipment, And then it's got a feeder series A bit like an F2 Called IndyCar NXT Um, and in in IndyCar NXT do you know who's racing that this year?
2: Jamie Chadwick
3: Jamie Chadwick and actually from what I understand it's going very well Um, so there are sort of four different types of race track but there's kind of mainly three different types two of them are similar to F1 and two of them are not Hannah, talk to us about the different types of track.
1: Okay, so like Ellie said, there are four different types of track, which the second two are a little bit more, they're hard to distinguish if you are not really know, if you don't really know what you're yeah. looking for. But the first two, which our F1 listeners will be fam- familiar with, will be your road course and your street circuit. And I will die on the hill that they are different things, because they are. Your road course is Definitely a permanent different. track. Your road course yep. is a permanent track. It is there year-round, and it hosts multiple things, okay? Mm-hmm. It's there. It will always be there. Maybe always. Yep. I don't know. Street circuits are can have semi-permanent structures, but they are not there year-round. They are yep. streets that are used for pedestrian business every day. They get shut down for a few weeks at a time to host these races. Yep. The most famous one is Monaco for our F1 listeners. For our American listeners, the newest NASCAR race, which is Chicago, is a street circuit. Okay. IndyCar specific. What are the IndyCar
2: street circuits?
1: Nashville. Nashville yep. is Saint the biggest Pete. one. Okay. St. Yep. Pete is one. Florida. Usually, that, for the cu- last couple of years, it's been the season opener. Long Beach. Long Beach. Long Beach is, yeah, Long Beach is one. And maybe Toronto. Toronto.
2: Toronto and yeah, Detroit. Toronto.
1: Yeah, Toronto. Tor- but okay. so that's that's the first two. The second two are ovals
3: ish you've got two types of ovals basically haven't you yeah
1: yeah you have two types of ovals it's the moderate oval which is oh i can't think of one off the top of my head i can't think of. One that you mean the short track. ovals like like iowa milwaukee it's a short track yeah, yeah. it's a so short iowa, track basically two short ovals, right? yeah. yeah and then you have your super speedways which they're less ovals more rounded rectangles kind of like it's kind yeah. of weird that's, that's, a, that's,
3: an description.
1: Like, that's not necessarily right but that's not wrong either it's de- the difference yeah. is that there's not a lot of braking. Super speedways, you don't normally use yeah. a brake unless you're trying to avoid a collision. Yeah. Ovals, there is some braking. Some. Yeah. Not so your all. super
3: speedways are like your, your Indy 500, your Texas Motor Speedway. They're, they're yes. the big super speedways, aren't they? Mon, do you know which one you're seeing? we are going to take
2: a road course. I'm so excited.
3: Yes. Yep. So the so very exactly. famous downhill
2: <laughs> section.
1: I,
3: uh, yeah. It's going to be so good. I'm going to watch all the coverage and be like, where's buddy? I'm excited. What we'll um, the sign? So we've, we've, we've covered a little bit of the Indy 500 in a previous episode when we did uh, a little bit about the Triple Crown. Um, so not going to delve too much into the Indy 500 like separately to sort of the wider IndyCar races. But the calendar for IndyCar runs from like the beginning of March and then runs and stops mid-September. So as you can tell, this weekend is the conclusion of it. So we're finishing this weekend, giving them like a full, gosh, five months off in comparison to F1, which you barely get three.
1: The difference is that we in America do not have summer break. The month of August is not a thing. It's great. It's great for an F1 fan because there's loads of IndyCar to watch. I loved it. Right. So it just runs continuously like any season. So your basketball Mm -hmm. season, your hockey season, it runs continuously. And then it's done until next year. It's quite literally like any other yeah. American sport in that sense.
3: Yeah. So it's it's cool. So the last thing I'll say before that is this year there are seventeen IndyCar races. Well, there's there's eighteen, but there's seventeen IndyCar race weekends. There was a double header at Iowa. So this year there were five road courses, five ovals, even though one of them was raced six times, and seven street courses in terms of the split. So you can see there's a much more even split as opposed to F1, which had twenty two races this year, seven of which were street courses, and therefore fifteen of which were Road courses, which I just find a a very interesting difference, because you have some people who are phenomenal on ovals. You have some people like the Penske's seem to absolutely nail the ovals every single time, and you get other teams who seem to be better on street or road. And so I think it's interesting that there's more of an even weighting between the three
1: in in IndyCar. So that's there's a couple of different segues we could go from that statement. Do you want to talk about teams? Do you want to talk about drivers? Do you want to talk about part-time versus full-time drivers? Do you wanna talk about how there isn't a cap yeah, I think it all kind of falls into the same stuff about like
3: learning about the teams because teams was the thing that threw me most coming into mm-hmm. IndyCar from F1, which I did. So I got into IndyCar probably mm, beginning to middle of last year, so 2022 season. And I remember being like, but, but how many teams are there? And how many drivers are there for each team? And Indy's very, very where There's like two drivers, 10 teams. It massively varies in IndyCar. Like some, typically, a lot of them have. Two or three But like Andretti Cipniassi Racing They all have four it, It's And you then have You've one. got teammates That don't share the li- Like teammates Don't share the livery Some have different Color mm-hmm. schemes For the races You have your Full time drivers You have your Part time drivers It's all Quite a lot Why don't i mean one of you come on feel free to go if you want to explain the difference between full-time drivers and part-time drivers
2: so my understanding is that a part-time driver doesn't race all of like obviously doesn't race everything if anything they race like half the season or certain tracks but i know like i don't know if marcus uh, armstrong qualifies as a part-time driver because he's not like do- he does so-, so he's not doing ovals this year mm-hmm. Because it's his first year in IndyCar. and from every from what I understand, every driver that is not like grow, that did not grow up doing ovals is terrified. So, yes. like this year, he is a even part-time Daniel Ricciardo
1: is terrified of ovals. Yeah,
2: so like this year, he's not doing ovals, so therefore, he's a part-time driver because he's doing the street courses and the road. Versus like someone like Bato ward, who is a full-time driver because he's doing every weekend, basically, unless he got injured, which he didn't. So it's like he's doing everything. He's doing the road, the road, the street, and the ovals and the super speedways basically that's like my understanding of like part-time versus not part-time yes
1: so you're right there is the part-time drivers basically are in in this case this year it's marcus and a few others who are only they basically said no to ovals or there's a driver so but in that doesn't mean that their car gets taken out marcus actually shares his car with somebody else who does the ovals for him in air quotes for Mm -hmm. him is an air quotes here but He does, like you said, all the street courses and the road courses, or street circuits and the road courses. So yes, you're correct in assuming that there we do have a part-time driver. He does qualify. There are other ones. Yuri Vips would qualify as one now because he's not even, he hasn't even been a part of the series for enough time to be considered a full-time driver. I don't even know if we've actually learned if he's going to do ovals or just street courses for next year or if he's even in next year. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I, it, I had a question about this. So is them doing part-time, is it due to funding? Is it due to experience? Is it due to driver decision? Or is it a little bit of a combination of all three depending on the driver?
1: Personally, from what I've been seeing, it has to do with commitment or driver decision. So let's use Marcus again. You have, let's compare him to Callum, lot, okay? Callum is a Yanko's Hollinger driver. You may recognize his name because he was in the feeder series in 2020 was his last year, I think. Twenty one. Twenty-one. Right?
3: 21. Mm-hmm. No, because he was, was his last year.
1: year. Right. Yeah, okay. he was a rookie See? in IndyCar. Everything, everything kind of just blends together in my head, not gonna lie to you. So so things are gonna be a little bit shaky, shall we say? Callum is a full-time driver. He was also a full-time driver last year because he didn't have other commitments. Okay. It was his rookie season. He could have done just street circuits and road courses like Marcus is doing. I think he doesn't because he doesn't have other commitments marcus is also has screwing meals he has brand deals and other things like that i'm not saying that callum doesn't but he's not as committed as marcus is to other things
3: see i thought Marcus was a funding thing i don't think it is i thought i would heard them say somewhere that marcus's was is not a lack of desire to do ovals but uh not able to for whatever reason and the insinuation was to do with funding or maybe an agreement that
1: chip ganassi already had with is it Chikuma Sato that does that shares a car with him. I think so. I could be wrong. One second, I'll look that up. He
3: someone shares the car with him, and I was under the impression it was more around the internal politics and funding-based stuff. But essentially, if you're not a full-time driver, you kind of can't really compete for the championship, can you? Like then, I, mean, I can't see a scenario in which someone who wasn't full-time would be able to compete. Yeah,
1: kind of. the The thing is, he's up there. He's doing. Re- he's got 190 points. Yeah, he's probably going to be Rookie of the Year, even though he's done five less races than everybody else.
3: But yeah, I I can't believe that you could win a championship and be a part-time driver. Maybe there's a stat somewhere that someone has, but I there's a part of my head that goes, surely
1: not. No, I don't think so. I think you're right. I just, I, oh, I don't know who he's sharing the car with. I can't, I've, I was literally looking and I'm reading about it and now I can't even bring the name to mind. But I think you're right. I think he's sharing with Takuma Sato. Okay, yeah. moving moving us on then a little bit because we've got quite a lot to get to get through and maybe not so much time this
3: is a spec series in is a spec series so it's similar to f2 yes kind of kind of
1: uh, what do, what bits are the same the chassis is the same It's closer to f2 than it is the first one yes the chassis is the same the engines are half the same but where it gets similar to f1 is the funding you have this is where i'm going to kind of c- combine it with teams a little bit this is where you have your 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 big three which in, in which in Formula One is your Ferraris, your Mercedes, and your Red Bulls, and then you have mm-hmm. for for IndyCar the th- the three that are quite literally the equivalent is Andretti Penske and CGR, which is Chip Canassi Racing. Those are the three that have more funding money because they've they're like the legacy teams. They're the legacy teams. They're not the legacy team, but they are. Le- there are three legacy teams and the reason i say they're not the legacy team is because there is a williams of the grid which has more legacy and has more history but they're not doing quite as well that being said the reason it is not quite a spec series but it is a spec series is because they have the same chassis as the the Dallara ir12 they have two different engine suppliers chevy and honda but they can develop their car and their aero kits differently depending on how much funding they have yep. so yep there is a little bit of difference, but it is technically a spec series.
3: Mm. Well, one of the interesting things that I was reading that that plays into is because there aren't so many differences in sort of the car components, there are a lot less like rules and regulations that teams can breach. So you see a lot less penalties around that. Penalties typically in IndyCar are around like the number of engines that they've used or like mm-hmm. illegal engines. And I think you saw it at, was it Iowa? Couple of weeks ago, there were a lot of engine penalties at that track because everyone was taking new components and, and those kind of things. So half, not half the grid, there were probably like seven cars I think that all had like nine place grid penalties because of those kind of things. So like ones, yeah, it year. is different. Yeah, it is different in that respect to F one. There's different kinds of development, and so you know they're not doing it all themselves because they're being supplied with quite a lot of it. So yeah.
1: I literally wrote in my notes, technically a spec series, but eh. (laughs) But eh. Valid. Yeah. The other thing that I want to point out about the cars that is different from F1 is there is no power steering. So when you hear Callum complain about fighting the car, that's why. Because there's no assistance. None. Like, you are, you you have to be...
3: And that's one Less of the off. biggest differences that they say people moving from the European racing rather than the Indy NXT series notice is they're like, what, what, what do you mean there's no power steering? Particularly those who've been in F1 cars, like you, Roman Grosjean, Marcus Eriksson, those guys really notice that massive difference in not having power steering, which I find fascinating.
2: I would love to ask them the differences of working out between like F1 and IndyCar or like someone like Pato was like testing for f1 like how probably his stuff arms. has changed yeah probably but like i just wanted like the differences so of like bottle who's like doing both it's like yeah. well, obviously he's more next stuff but like what else is different yeah definitely I just, that's just me definitely
3: being a nerd no it is, it's so interesting to note those differences where those might happen and like you say i'm sure there are training differences that, that they have to go through so moving on then to a race weekend qualifying is similar to some of how you see f1 but is
1: different between road and street circuits and oval so first of all road and street circuit how do they qualify so instead of it's knockout of,
2: system basically it
1: is the knockout system it's the same so basically there is for our, for our f1 listeners there is a q1 q2 q3 there's a difference of yep. who's Gets knocked out okay first q1 their q1 is split into two groups of 12 okay the fast or six or 13 the fastest six from each of those groups moved on moves on to q2 where it becomes one giant class of 12 mm-hmm. which okay is the fast, 12, isn't it? fast 12 it's called the fast 12 then the next the top six from there move on to the fast six their q3 okay the fastest of the fast six gets pulled Mm-hmm. One thing I found really interesting about Q1 is within
3: the two groups, the bottom six or seven aren't ordered by their qualifying time across the two groups. So Q, so the group in group one take places 13, 15, 17, 19, 21, 23, 25. Mm-hmm. The bottom six in group two take 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, which I just found really, really interesting because you it could mean that you could have... Like four cars, that, if they'd been in the other group, could have started four, five, six places higher. But because they're in two different groups, they just split the even and the odd numbers. And I'm not criticising that. It's just, it took me a few races to clock on that that's what they were doing because it's not really... explicitly said but it's just that's just how it is and no, it's a different way of doing it
1: no but you're right and that's kind of where i always get kind of in my head about it i was like well what if what if this car is faster what, what would happen if you mm-hmm. put these cars against this car and you change these groups around right because I, guess- I don't know how they decide the qualifying group is it based on the practice sessions
2: it's based off practice uh groups yeah. are set Very from cool. I, I i learned a lot of like my indie car stuff from mama underscore g-force on, yes like, i was gonna give her a Twitter. shout out
1: because she has an entire beginner's guide on her on her page.
2: So amazing. So amazing. So from there, it's like they base it off of like the final practice times before right, okay. quality. That's interesting. And then that's how you decide which group you're in. Ovals right. are different. That,
1: that makes more sense. Ovals are what I wish would happen for Q1 and F1. To be honest. With you. Interesting.
2: In that it's just one car Oval on track. It's
1: yeah. one car
3: on track and it's the combined time for two consecutive tracks. Obviously you want to go for the lowest time rather than the highest time. But it's a very different way of doing it and I yeah I know what you mean I'd love to see it trialed in F1 particularly in Q1 and see kind of how that would play out but as i as said earlier we're not going to delve too much into the Indy 500 but the Indy 500 is a little bit different in that it's the average time for four laps and then you have a fast nine and a last row shootout and stuff like that but mm-hmm. on the whole overall qualifying is about combining lap times which yeah. That's an interesting way to do it, I think. So you have that. Then IndyCar do a practice session between qualifying and the race, which again I find mad, but I suppose they have a bit of a warm up in the morning. That's fine. But again, it's just another quick little difference between what we're used to seeing in F1. But the thing I find most interesting, that's probably most different about the two, this is just personally, is the way that they start the race. So obviously in F1, we have a formation lap. And then they stop and they all line up on the grid and it's lights out and away we go. IndyCar is not like that. They do these parade laps behind the safety car and then they take a rolling start. And it's just they just all cross the line together. And I just it's so interesting to watch for me because you don't have any issues of anybody stalling or anything like that nobody getting the good start or whatever. You just everyone just roll over the line. It's quite nice. Yeah.
1: Here's the thing. When you so like a year ago over last summer break, I made an edit for our f1 fans for pg about like what you could watch during summer break if you because you're missing f1 and indycar was one of them and during one of the breaks in the audio i used the green flag audio because you're gonna hear it when you watch indycar you're gonna hear a radio-like message that says green 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 and it's this guy and he always it's the same guy i'm pretty sure and he's been doing it for years and because his voice is just in my head every single time i don't it's the same southern accent okay um (laughs) but they take the rolling start two by two, same as any grade, except for NASCAR where you might have three if you're feeling dangerous. Um, or you've got three, three, three. Yeah, where you've got three. It's a two, it's a two by two rolling start, and they get told that they're over the line in what would be considered the restart zone, which is different because, like in in Formula One, as soon as you hit. The safety car line, that's where you can hit throttle after a safety car, but they mm-hmm. have a zone before that because they don't have the safety car line. Like, that doesn't exist. So there's just, like, a preset zone. Especially when I So,
3: line. the other thing that's very different about how an
1: car race is
2: conducted is the pit stops.
1: Either yeah. of you want to take talk about pit stops? They're not two seconds long. There's
2: refueling in IndyCar? It is,
1: yes. There's refuel- There's refueling in car. They're not two seconds long because they can refuel. Mon, do you want to take Take more of it,
2: cause so from the infographic that Mama underscore Tree Forest has, it's seven seconds is a good pit stop in IndyCar. Car, so that's mm-hmm. a whole four second plus. So tire changes, you still have. There's refueling. They have an aero screen in IndyCar. Car, so yes, in front of the car. And apparently, part of it, it's like removing like the protective layer on it. I'm assuming the tear like off, a, yeah. Like, fo- yeah, yeah, like tear off on it. It's a giant so that can be part. Of, that can be part of like the pit change and then obviously like we like they can adjust wing like angles on the wings too like if need be
3: i didn't realize until i was looking into it for this that they're limited to only being allowed to have six people to do the pit stop yes. you can't have more than six people in like involved in the car at any one time which when what did we work out as being in f1 14 yeah it's
1: actually 20
3: wait
2: that does is isn't and they're allowed to sit in IndyCar.
1: So when I th- it's twenty F one because you have so many different people. That's yeah.
2: insane. Here it's like oh there's seven here. It says seven on the infographic. It's like air jack person, tire person. So there's four tire people, tear off person, and the fueler and the tire changer. So four tire changers, oh, yeah, tear off, fueler, air jack.
3: Yeah, I think the air jack's not included because they're not touching the car. But I, like it's it's a hugely different situation. The fact that they still manage to hit sort of between six and ten seconds is amazing. Really, I think yeah. It's, it's just very different. And I think pit stops in IndyCar play far more into strategy than even they do in F1 sometimes because there are often so many in the race. So like yesterday's race, I think, on average, about four pit stops per car. Like you can see a one pit stop race in F1. Like you can see a two pit stop race. Very rarely will you see a three pit stop race, whereas that's pretty standard in IndyCar because obviously they're refueling and they're changing tyres and stuff like that.
1: Now, here's a question I want Ellie to answer because... We love to talk tires on this podcast, obviously. How many tire options do they have for weekend, Ellie? Three. And that's it, right? They have
3: the red, they, ha- they have the primary tires, which is the red wall tires. They have the alternates, which is the black wall tires. And then they do have wet tires, which they do and don't use. They won't run an oval if it's wet so they wouldn't use and ovals in fact have their own tires which are specifically down for ovals i think in iowa the other week they trialed having an alternate tire for ovals but they tested it it didn't go so well there's still definitely room for improvement but they are trying to have options for like Different tires out there, but largely it's just they've got the black tire and the red tire. So your primary and your alternate. Right.
1: So there isn't there isn't a soft, medium, hard, intermediate, wet. There's literally just three no. types of tires. If that for the weekend, it is a lot less. But the pro the tire profile is a lot lower. As Ellie said, there's four pit stops as opposed to one or two. Highest you're going to see in an yeah. F1 race is three, and that's if they really screwed up. Although you know if you're in Zandvoort, it's five. Um. <laughs> yeah yeah it is
3: interesting isn't it one of the other interesting differences between the two is in f1 if you are about to be lapped by somebody you get waved a blue flag and you're supposed to get out of the way of the leader and in indycar that looks a little bit different money how does that look different in indycar
2: i think in indycar you have to be two laps down before you have before you move out the way so if you're only a lap down Mm -hmm. oh i forgot what race i was watching that someone was annoyed that someone didn't move out the way but it's like they're not Hello like was annoyed that to. Pedersen so like, out
3: the way almost yes. recently, Because it's always Pedersen. It's been happened like four times this year, where blessing the dear sweet little rookie is right at the back of the race and he has genuinely held up the race leader at points and like yeah. not got out of the way, but he's not obligated to. He you don't have ha- to. Yeah, he
2: was on left and
1: Here's the fun one. On an oval, you can hold them up for as long as you want. There is no blue flag and there is no obligation. You can do whatever you want on an oval. On Mm -hmm. a road course, you have an obligation after you're two laps down. But when you are on an oval, it does not matter.
3: No, And I think it's a really... I I quite like it. I quite like that they can still... There's also no track limits. No, there's no track limits. Uh, Exactly. None of that kind of stuff. And then the other difference between f1 and indycar is the difference between what we have in f1 which is drs and push to pass in indycar do either of you feel confident explaining push to pass do you want me to have a go at explaining it anyone hannah you put your hand up you go for it
1: push to pass is something that is very controversial in my household because my my parents don't really like drs as it is but there are no drs zones in indycar what it is is that they have a button and they get to choose when they get to use it but once it is gone it is gone and i think it's like 200 seconds per mm-hmm. race they can do it but they can only mm-hmm. have push to pass online for 20 seconds max at a time yeah but once yep. it's gone it's it gone. varies slightly between different tracks so some it's 15 and some it's slightly
3: less than 200 but yeah essentially it gives them like an extra 50 to 75 horsepower in their car mm-hmm. so you but the interesting thing is you because they get to choose when they use it you can either use it to attack because it's most commonly used for overtaking, but you can also use it to defend which I think is mm-hmm. really cool because sometimes we, we talk in F1 about how they're powerless to defend against the DRS, the Red Bull, which basically is what I'm talking about. But imagine if like someone had something that they could defend on, they got like a DRS kind of thing too. And it's really interesting for strategy. I think it's really, it, it's, it's a, and from what I understand, it's mostly the driver's choice. They've not necessarily got their spotters and their people in their ear telling them when to use it or not. So it plays into the strategy and expertise of the driver. Which I think is really important and really, really cool. There's obviously, well, maybe not obviously, there's no push pass on ovals, and you don't get up on an oval race. So it's just for the road and street courses. But I think, yeah, it can be really interesting to see how they use it and when they use it in the race. Because I think it was yesterday's race where I think it was barely halfway through, and Graham Rahal, who'd started on pole, had 16 of his 200 seconds left. So he clearly blitzed it all through the beginning and then kind of run out less than halfway through the race so that definitely plays into strategy which i think is really really interesting
1: another thing that i would like to see f1 try instead of drs is to push pushed pass because i would like to yeah. see them using it as, the defense, as a defense system as opposed to a offense system it would make it interesting mm-hmm. i feel like there'd be more passing
3: yeah definitely and like you say drs is a controversial one Many of us <laughs> Okay finally then Before we wrap up We'll do a brief Foray into Points Because obviously Points mean prizes Points mean money. Every driver That drives in IndyCar And finishes the race Receives points It's like Oprah Everyone this points This is why you See cars being repaired You see cars trundling around 17 laps down or whatever, because the last, even the last nine cars, each receive five points, and five points is better than no points. So cars will only retire from the race if they really do not have any legs (laughs) to actually let them carry on but otherwise you see them all going down and going around like 17 laps down because they just want to get those five points because it's better than nothing so the winner gets 50 second and third get 40 and 35 and then it varies in between but like the last 10 or so get like five points each or something so then you get bonus points yeah bonus point for pole position so if you, if you start on pole you get a point for it which we don't see in f1 but we do see in all the feeder series and i think that's quite interesting
1: this is two points
3: points in for your series yeah in like in sort of the f2 F, f2 and f3 yeah they get two points for pole and um, in any it's one point for pole one point if you at any point lead a, one lap of the race so like particularly with how the pit stop cycle you do get quite a lot of people who they'll pick up an extra point for having led a lap like random people who you wouldn't expect to i think Callum ended up leading a lap like five laps of the indy 500 and therefore got a point for that and then you get two points for leading the most laps of the race so say there are like 110 laps if you led 60 of them you would get an extra two points for uh leading the most laps there's even more points on offer in indy 500 even in indy 500 qualifying you get more points for finishing p1 to nine but shockingly whoever has the most points at the end of the year wins the championship i feel like that's a will buxton statement wild but usually IndyCar is so competitive that usually it goes down to the last race this year so alex pillow locked up the championship yesterday no, this is the Bill. first year since 2007 that it hasn't gone down to the last race which i think shows you how competitive indycar is because the cars are a lot more similar there's no one streaking light years ahead and getting 10 races in a row or anything because this is the first year in okay 15 <laughs> years no i'm just illustrating your point this is the first year in 15 years where the championship has not gone down to the last race which i think is really interesting yep.
1: yeah so that's your crash course in indycar if you haven't watched well,
3: the only we'll on points is there are also points for the engine, engine manufacturers. So we've got Hundred and Chevy, and they do also have their own point system. It's a similar structure to how F1 works. I'm not going to go into it too much, but yeah, they get the same amount of points as their highest placed two drivers. You get extra five points for car, car, getting your car on pole. All of those kind of things. But there is sort of there's no team constructors championship, but there's sort of like the engine constructors championship thing, I think. So, any other huge differences, Hannah, that we haven't mentioned, or, like, well, I've reviewed uh, that we haven't mentioned in terms of F1 versus IndyCar?
1: No. Um, the only thing that I hinted at there being similarities between teams, between F1, kind of just to give... People who don't really know the teams, uh, like a bridge of thought. This year specifically, like I said before, the big three are Andretti, CGR, and Penske. They've been around for a while. The other one that has been around for a while but will be considered the Williams of the grid is AJ Foyt. They have the longest amount of history, but they are not doing so hot as. And Andretti and CGR are the other one that's kind of notable for its similarity. A lot of people are comparing Meyer Shank Racing to, let's call it the Baby Bull, to Andretti's Alphatari. Or sorry, the yeah, the Baby yep. Bull, the Baby Bull to Andretti's RBR, basically. Yep. So they okay. are they have like a deal or something that people are or either as a speculation or it's true that they have a deal with Andretti for drivers or what have you. And they're now a sister team of small small yeah, minority. Yeah, sure. So that's like the biggest ones.
3: Yeah. The only other main difference that I found when I was looking into it was for F1 obviously they're racing on either road circuits or street circuits. And we covered in our pre-Monaco episode the differences between your sort of your road circuits and your street circuits. But IndyCar races on both of those but it also races on Oval circuits. And actually it means that the car is designed very differently. Because whilst you need to on road and street circuits you need to like maximise your acceleration, cornering. Indy car, indie cars also need to be able to cope with like the insanely consistently sustained speed that you need to do on an oval track so in terms of like the design of the car i do think it's very interesting that you have to take maybe more into consideration with an indy car in terms of your setup And obviously you can change setup elements across different weekends but it's why you see teams talking about oh we really didn't quite get the setup this weekend because there are more differences between like your oval and your street and road circuits than there are between just street and road circuits in f1 and i think that's a i found that a very interesting difference to take note of yeah you know i think that's it the other big difference is budget yes So obviously because F1 teams are engineering a lot more of their own car, big focus on design and development, big focus on it being like the pinnacle of engineering excellence and whatever. Indy cars prioritise more of an equal playing field. So there's lower budgets. I mean, even the drivers, what they earn significantly lower. But it means that there's a much more even playing field and why you see so many different winners and stuff like that. So that is your IndyCar 101. Any questions from either of you of things that you have either watched a race and gone one hair or just that you want to know? Not saying you have the answer, <laughs>
2: no. Nah. So <you> ask. <laughs> Mon, I'm what bad. are you most excited for for this weekend? It's my first race ever, not so all of it, just all of it. It's like yeah. I've never been to a are you race there before. all weekend?
3: So. Are you just doing the Sunday?
2: No, I'm just doing Saturday, Sunday. I'll work on Friday. I have to be an adult, so Saturday, yeah, Sunday.
3: Nice.
2: So it should be fun. If you
3: could have like one. Not like bucket list, but like one thing happened. What would be like your? This would make my
2: weekend thing. Would it be like
3: Driver? Would it be getting to see a certain person? battle uh, one would be
2: sick. Battle one yeah, would well, be a cool one. Light all your candles. I'll take that. We'll take that for
3: you. Okay. Well, we've kind of got to wrap up, but just before we do finish, now that we've kind of done a bit of a 101 on on both of them, what is your like favorite thing that IndyCar does that F1 doesn't? On? The
1: one-lap shootouts. I'd rather we do the shootouts in at least Q1 than... Well, the, quali- the qualifying thing for 8 balls. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair enough. Ooh. Mark, what about your favorite thing that IndyCar? Like, favorite different thing about IndyCar?
2: I think the point system. Mm-hmm. How more people get points in IndyCar or it can make it more competitive. But that's the only thing that can come. I com- comes to mind at the moment.
3: You wouldn't have any of the argument about rookies not scoring, would you? Well, you would. It's just, would they have
1: earned that? You would have had the, would they have earned it, sort of. Because you do have that argument of whether or not they've actually made a top 10, because the top 10 is still a coveted place in IndyCar. It's just not, you still get points, it's just, it's not as highly, it's the same high regard, it just looks different.
2: Yeah, Yeah, but the point system is one thing that comes to mind, like, first thing.
3: Mm. Ellie? I don't know, I think for me, I like that it's more diversely competitive so i like that it's kind of the very similar chassis and that kind of thing and that you know whilst alex club has obviously been incredibly dominant this year we've still seen a multitude of different winners and i do like that i do like that different characteristics can really suit more than just one team and more than just one driver but i also do really like push pass so probably one of those two cool
2: yeah push the pass is the other thing that like i would change would wish
3: it's called cool. Something more similar was a one. Like mm. I like it.
2: Like more of that versus like what it is new. Mm-hmm.
3: Amazing. Well, Mon on behalf of the entire world. I <laughs> the <best> time <laughs> this weekend. I cannot wait to hear about it. Obviously you will come on next week and update us on your fantastic trip and we'll talk about some other stuff ahead of Singapore. But I think that's all we've got time for.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. I'll have a wonderful week off.
2: Watch IndyCar.
1: <laughs> Watch IndyCar. Spot money on the on the footage,
3: and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye, guys.
2: Bye, everyone.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you've got any questions on anything we discussed today, or if there are topics you'd love to learn about with us in the future, then we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Instagram at PrettyGirlF1Club and on Twitter at PGF1C or follow us on TikTok at PGF1C. See you soon.